Christ came and proclaimed this. People were following all kind of teachers. When Christ came, when he gave his commands, when he gave his teachings, one thing they have observed, that Christ is teaching with an authority. That authority haven't, haven't been experienced in other teachers. So, so here we are in the Christ kingdom, how to live, how to act, how to dispense grace to one another. Because our vertical relationship with God need to be communicated or need to be seen in the horizontal people surrounding us. Because not only just we are worshiping God, but we, how do we behave with others? I think that's one of the things Christ really uh, drives home in his Sermon on the Mount. Now, Hudson Taylor says, says this, um, the famous missionary. He says, if, before I say the quote, if you are in Christ's kingdom, the disposition of us, Christ as a Lord. And he says in quotes, Christ is either Lord of all, is not Lord at all. So when he gives that Sermon on the Mount, Christ is teaching, if you are my followers, then you have to carefully watch these things. You cannot discount certain things and you can have certain things and, and, and make your own assumptions of how to live in this life. So today's chapter, chapter 6, is the center of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the center. Uh, chapter 5, he begins and he ends in chapter 7. And in chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, I'm going to read it, and then we'll go from there. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So when you read this first, at first, it almost sounds like God has mercy on those people in a, on a conditional basis. Respond to others, uh, forgiving them. But if you look at the entirety of the book of Matthew and the, the whole scripture, as a matter of fact, that's not the case. The God's grace and mercy extends to everyone regardless of uh, race and gender or ethnicity, because it is purely grace. And God has uh, this grace extended to his people without seeing their work. And we see that in the Testament in, that, in the entire scriptures for that, and uh, starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Now, then why did Jesus put such a heightened statement around forgiveness? You might wonder, um, this sounds almost like a command with a negative consequence. If you don't do this, you won't get this. Now, in the beginning of chapter 6, when you look at this, there are these Pharisees who love to pray in the corners of the streets, like to lead others in prayer, loud and obnoxious, and uh, the piety they show outwardly, almost make anyone feel like, I think maybe this is the way we should pray. I think, look at these men, they are so holy. But Christ openly condemns those showy prayers. And the respect they're, 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 they're expecting from the crowd, they have already received the respect. They already received what they're expecting and nothing else to be given when they go to heaven. So on the contrary, he teaches his followers, pray like this. And he teaches the, the Lord's Prayer. 
what we call. And this Lord's Prayer, Christ introduces the sovereign God as our Father. You see the disposition? Before, he was a God and people were afraid. But when you bring this sovereign God of this universe, be introduced to you as your Father, there is a familial connection. There is a, there is a bond and there is grace that you enter into. Now, when Jesus introduces the Father in such a way, it is almost, I would say, it's more better than what Adam had in the garden because we have connection with the Father through the Spirit. And right after the Lord's Prayer, and these two verses is a continuation of of the prayer. Why these two verses have to be put right next to the prayer when you think about it. One of the things we have to consider when you approach the Lord, rightfully so, uh, as the chapter 6 lays out, we should approach in secrecy. We should approach with honesty. Now, these two verses are teaching that there is something else to be concerned about. When you think about the Sermon on the Mount, the purpose of Christ's sermon is to go deeper and deeper of human heart. He's deconstructing the heart and reconstructing it. Because every area, every corner we see, there is hardness. There is sin lingering. There are certain things that we hold on to. What Christ is saying here, look, when you pray in secrecy, when you pray, address the Lord in this way, great. But there is something more to be worried about here if you don't confess that you, you're, for, you're not forgiving your neighbors. God not only desires our heartfelt prayers, but he also desires our deepest genuineness in our hearts when we approach him. Now, forgiveness, in a matter, as a matter of fact, when you think about it, is often subjective. And you forgive, you forgive people based on the length we can go and the times we can count. But uh, Jesus is highlighting here, it not be this, the case. You have to have a forgiving heart. If you have genuinely received forgiveness from the Lord, then you must forgive your brother, your sister, or your parent, or your friend, or colleague. Now, the forgiveness it should not hinder you from forgiving the people that we come in contact with. Because we cannot go to this sovereign God and this Father and say, Heavenly Father, whereas you're holding back on forgiving someone in the back of your mind or heart, then your confession, you're diluting the God's grace that was given to you in, in Christ. You're basically forfeiting what you're supposed to be gaining from God's comfort. So Christ is openly condemning these, his followers. Not, this is almost worse, worse than the people who are publicly praying in their hearts. This is deep inside the heart. People, even though they follow Christ with all their hearts, there is some, something that is preventing them from forgiving their neighbors and friends. So um, the topic of forgiveness 
Matthew, if you look in the book of Matthew, why the forgiveness is such a huge thing. My, my, my feeling is forgiveness is some, something hard, and we kind of decompartmentalize it in our lives. We try to measure each one according to the merit and give forgiveness. And that's why Christ is mentioning about the forgiveness in, in the book of Matthew. Matthew records four times in this, cha- in this book. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, in the same Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and I remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And verse in Matthew 18, we see it again. Peter asking the Lord, how many times I should forgive? And Jesus answers, seven times, but 70. Not, not, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. And there's a perfect number that go beyond that. And Matthew 18, 15 to 20, you see a parable. And uh, this servant comes to the master, asks for forgiveness. But when he goes out, master's home, there is another servant of this servant who had a debt. And this, this servant ignores that. He doesn't forgive. And uh, the master had to call the servant back. And he has to punish him. And at the end of uh, that parable, and this is how um, Matthew concludes the chapter 18. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is straight from Jesus' words. So Jesus is again saying here, the Heavenly Father will, not do, will, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this is the heart at the matter, heart at the center of our forgiveness. And then we, we see a famous, um, we call it church discipline, but this text applicable everywhere. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. How to seek forgiveness from privately with a witness in front of the congregation. The purpose of this forgiveness is to invite them back into the fellowship, right? So there is an extensive evidence, scriptural evidence, that as believers, as forgiven people through Christ, we should dispense that similar grace to the people in our lives who need our forgiveness. Now, I will draw a few applications here and conclude. See, the first application here, forgiveness is not an option. We don't see an option here. Forgiveness is a kind of a litmus test of our heart. Having received such free grace from the Lord, how do we exercise that part of our transformation? If we are new creatures, then we should dispense that forgiveness to others who need from us. Our heart should overflow with gratitude for the grace we have received in Christ. Out of that abundance of that grace, we should forgive others. By the way, when you see this chapter 5 through 7, there are so many things we fail in flying colors. But are we unable to do that? Is, is, are this, uh, these, these, these things Jesus' teaching is unattainable? I don't think so. Because God gave us his spirit. And through spirit, we are empowered to do these things. And we should ask the Lord to give us the strength. And the fruits, again, the fruits of this vertical relationship with the Lord has to be seen and be given to the people around, around us in our lives. Now, one of the things that we need to remember 
When I say forgiveness, forgiveness is not an option. When you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul beautifully puts this, um, the reconciliation that God did on our behalf in Christ. Uh, verse 17, I'm going to read through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are a new creation in Christ. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Christ has to be made sin, who knew no sin, so that God can forgive us. So having received such a great forgiveness, and we must respond in that such grace to others in our lives who need forgiveness. Now, this verse is in form of a conditional, because when we withhold that forgiveness, we have to remember we are kind of going against the Lord's command. Now, forgiveness, next one, the forgiveness is not just a feeling. You might think, okay, I feel like forgiving today. Tomorrow I'm not going to do this. I'll maybe put a condition on it. Um, forgiveness requires effort. It, it, it requires work. It's not easy to forgive someone. And the true forgiveness should be complete. What, what you're doing is you're promising that you would not go back and recite the things of the past with that person. And it has to be done with, away with. When you see Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14, it, it talks about how we were transferred from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. And verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has to, not only he has forgiven us, there is a transfer that occurred between, from a darkness into light. So there is an act. So as people of this high king, Christ, we must not only just forgive, but we, we must work towards restoration. If there is a relationship, broken relationship between us and that person, we should work towards restoring that relationship after the forgiveness. Now, finally, forgiveness is not a one-time event. How many times can we forgive? Like Jesus was saying in that Matthew 18 to Peter 77 times, <laughs> Humanly possible, it's tough. Uh, I get it. But our lives should be conduits of God's grace. Because the forgiveness that we offer, our forgive, the people who are forgiving hearts, they're basically free-handed. They just receive from the Lord, and they dispense to others. And this, what, what do they see when they see this? They see Christ. When they see God's grace. And in turn, they turn to the Lord, and they, and they see the glory of God. Now, when you see the first John, John is writing with so much joy. He's inviting everybody into this fellowship. 
the fellowship of the saints and uh, come experience it, experience this fellowship. Why John is so joyful and, uh, and, and, and desire us to see that experience in Christ? Because if you see 1 John chapter, verse nine, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it talks about he's faithful and just to forgive you from all sin because he's a gracious father. And uh, also chapter 1, verse 2, 1 and 2, uh, and John writes this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So in verse nine, chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, God cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we approach. And not only that, we have the assurance that we have the heavenly advocate who stands on the side of God and pleading for us. In such a great assurance we have to receive forgiveness, why, couldn't we, why can't we expend that, that kind of grace to the people in our lives? Brothers and sisters, it's not that you are such kind of person. But I, I plead with you that these things are deep in our hearts. And Jesus is going to the deeper parts of our heart to expose the things that we often overlook. The desire for the a person to be in the kingdom, the Christ wants him to deconstruct and see where the areas of a sin that is lingering. And he wants us to sanctify it if we come out of it. And by the way, this is not an easy thing to do. Oftentimes, this is a hard thing to what Christ is talking here. Tim Keller says a quote that is helpful here. And uh, he writes in The Meaning of Marriage, the book, uh, he writes this in quotes, the Christian principle that needs to be at work is spirit-generated selflessness. Not thinking less of yourself, or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The more we do it, the more we lose ourselves, we get to experience the life of Christ in our bodies. When you experience the life of Christ in your bodies, that means the Lord is working in you and sanctifying you day by day. So Jesus is driving this point through and through through this uh, Sermon on the Mount. May we ex truly experience that the call of Jesus in our lives, and live for his glory. So let me pray. Father, we thank you once again for challenging us in your word. I pray, God, that you would help us to live by the word so that we may be sanctified and your name be glorified through our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.